Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello and happy Thanksgiving. I hope you are in the middle of preparing something delicious for the feast tomorrow, or that you're on a walk or taking a break from whatever stress the holiday brought for you. If you love what you hear today, make sure you are subscribed so that you can get the latest episode directly downloaded to your phone each Wednesday. Subscribing is free. And if this episode is especially impactful for you, share it out. Whether it's over your Thanksgiving dinner table with your relatives or on social media with a screenshot of the episode, tell people about this podcast and why today's guest mattered to you. If you want to see the show notes, including the links to Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's special deals that are going on, you can find them on my website, aboutprogress.com. You can see more of me there as well. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress. We are so lucky to have Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife back on the show today. Jennifer is a well-known and well-loved psychotherapist who specializes in relationship and sexuality counseling. She also provides in-person workshops as well as online classes on sexuality, relationships, and so much more. Out of all the episodes that have aired on this podcast, Jennifer's get the most listens, the most shares, and the most messages sent to me about the impact she has had on your lives. She's changed my own life, so I totally understand why she's changing yours as well. Her first interview with me was on perfectionism. The second was on how to do things for the right reasons. I've linked to both of those in my show notes if you'd like to listen or to re-listen. Today, Jennifer is here to talk about getting over yourself what to do when perfectionism is undermining your development, and by extension, your relationships and your peace of mind. Get ready to take notes because this is another life-changing interview. I want to welcome back Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Well, people love to hear from you, and I'm so honored you'd be back. I wanted to start first with you sharing what you have going on on your end that people might be interested, especially with the holiday season. There's usually some some exciting things happening. Sure. Thanks, Monica. Um, I First, um, I have online courses for uh, couples, both on dealing with your relationship and sexual relationship, and then a online women's sexuality course that um, people can access you know, when they want to, it's their recordings, essentially. And those courses are going on sale for Christmas, uh, starting uh, just the day before Thanksgiving, and they're 20% off. And they are often people choose to give them as Christmas gifts um, to their spouse or to a child, an adult child or something like that. So so those are on sale. Um, and then the second thing is that I'm doing some live um, women's sexuality workshops. And as you know, my niche is working with LDS couples and women. So yeah. there, I've been doing more of the live workshops. I have two in Salt Lake City. They just put up a second one and it just sold out. It sold out really quickly. But I, I haven't started selling the tickets yet for one that I'll be doing in Arizona. So that will be 
going on sale in the next couple months and also one in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And I'm also going to be doing a three-day women's retreat in Oregon um, in the first week in May. So, wow. so that'll be lo- that'll be longer and with yoga and all kinds of fun stuff. So oh, that'll that be really cool. fun. Yeah. Oh, if I didn't have a newborn, I think I would be at that one. I've been to um, one of your live workshops, and I I think I've signed up for almost every course you have too. So yeah. I can definitely vouch for all of that. If they want to stay up on those things should they sign up for a newsletter or just keep yeah the best site? thing to do yeah the best thing to do is to go to my homepage just at finlaysonfife.com and on the homepage there's a place to put in your email address and you'll get notifications when things go on sale in fact because those workshops sell out so quickly it's definitely the best way to make sure you you find out right away Okay, well, that's great. And today that this airs is the day that the 20% off deal is starting. So definitely check that out. Okay, so in our very first interview, we were talking about clients that you've had who have struggled with perfectionism, and especially in terms of owning their flaws and what you do to typically deal with them. And you responded in a great way. And one of um, the quotes there was, get over yourself. And I loved how you said it. So I'm going to play that for our listeners, that excerpt. It's this idea that I want to be seen as perfect. Mm-hmm. I, want to see, I want to see myself in superhuman qualities. And I want others to see me that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a little bit of my response to that in working with clients is, you know, get over yourself. <laughs> We're all in this together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is just how, what it is to be human is to be flawed. Mm-hmm. It's just inherent. I think the challenge is that we make somehow flaws connected to value. Okay. And so when you're, you're when you're resisting the acknowledgement of your imperfection or your flaws, your inherent flaws, inherent to being human, you're basically trying to pressure off this idea that you're less than. And so when you connect the issue of your development or your flaws with your value, you're in trouble. So I want to dive more into this idea of getting over ourselves and in a few different ways. First, let's talk about how to get over our humanness. And that's something that you have brought up a lot. Um, The fact that we're mortals and because of that, we have flaws. That's our humanness. And some people refuse to acknowledge that and it's to their detriment. So from Mm -hmm. your point of view, how can someone who is in that position better face their flaws and acknowledge that they are in fact human and because of that will have flaws? Yeah, well, I, I think that, first of all, I think the challenge that we have with it is not... Um, how to say, I would say it's normal, it's developmental, Mm. because I think that we all start out as babies with a reflected sense of self. I think this is an idea that Murray Bowen first talked about, which is to say that your physical autonomy outpaces your psychological autonomy. And so Mm. what all babies and children do is they look to the others in their experience to give them a sense of who they are. And so they're looking to the faces of their parents to tell them about whether or not they matter and how much they matter and what is true about them and not true about them. So we all start that way. And the challenge is that many of us don't do what is the hallmark of adulthood is growing into a more solid sense of self. 
that is a you know more psychological autonomy more ability to regulate and manage your own sense of self outside of validation from other people and so because we are um, all of us I mean, and this the other thing is that validation from other people feels good we want it and so it's really easy to run our lives looking to feel that we're sufficient through the eyes of other people mm trying to get that sense from the people that we're in connection with. And so that tendency within us, coupled with a basic human tendency to create hierarchies, it's, it's similar, but that is to say, am I above you or below you? Mm -hmm. As one client of mine said, she goes to the grocery store and every person she passes, she's making a determination in her mind if she's better than them or less than them. Hmm. And it's a very, I'm sure, very energy draining way to live but a very human way to live. And so those two realities means that we are often trying to get a sense of being better than or at least sufficient, you know, at least not less than. Mm -hmm. And we're struggling in some ways to kind of prove to ourselves and others that we are enough or superior. So I think that that's, this is all of our native state. This is how we start out. And I think that... Um, you know, what happens is that then what we feel is that our humanity will count against us, our imperfection, our flaws, the exposure of where we aren't yet developed is going to put us in the one down position. I see. It's going yeah. to prove that we're not enough. And so what many of us do is we start resisting the exposure of that reality as a way of trying to get on top. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the reality, which is like we're all human. We're all flawed. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, some of us have more gifts than others or more capacities than others. Some of us have more good fortune than others, which is clear and, and a hard reality in its own right, which is that life is terribly unfair. Um, and so there is differences in capacity and, and fortune, but uh, not really difference in inherent value and not difference in our human state. Hmm. And so part of what I think we have to confront is that if we're really going to grow into psychological adulthood is that we have to, on some level, tolerate that our flaws come with us, um, that our humanness is just part of the deal, and our desire to prevail works against actually coming into a place of peace and a capacity for uh, intimacy with other people. That is to say, letting people really know you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wanted to explain that we don't think people who need to get over themselves are necessarily the narcissists of the world. This is everyone, as you said, this is a developmental thing. How can someone identify within themselves that they have this problem of resisting exposure as a way to stay on top to feel superior or enough them if they don't necessarily think well I'm not I'm not all consuming I don't only care about mm -hmm. myself so how can they see that mm -hmm. in themselves well I think one really valuable way is to think about why am I doing what I'm doing what's really driving my actions because I think you're right I mean where I might correct your statement slightly is to say being one up or one down in my view are both self-preoccupied states mm -hmm. um, okay. so they're both narcissistic in that sense which is not the same thing as saying 
the one down person has a narcissistic personality disorder or something. Sure. Um, that is to say, it is a kind of self-preoccupation mm. in which you are trying to regulate your sense of self through your relationships with other people. And what I would say is that the one down person often looks like the really selfless person, the very virtuous person. You know, she feels terrible about herself. That's what a good person she is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so we often think that way. But if you really look at what motivates people from either a superior position or, a, or an inferior position is often that their behaviors are driven by a need to feel that they are adequate or needed or superior mm -hmm. or uh, or that they are pleasing the people around them. Not about I really want to do this good thing for the benefit of the other person, period. Mm -hmm. I want to do it so that I look good or they think well of me or they need me or they think I'm so great. And that drives most of us most of the time. Yeah. That's self-absorbed neediness, hmm. whether it's in a one down or one up form. It's so interesting that it can affect, well, it affects both side of that, yes. both of those positions. If someone is in the one down position, what are they trying to hold on to then? Because I, I understand better how someone in the one up position wants to um, hold on to their superior status in their mind. But the what is the one down person trying to hold on to? So I think the one down person is often trying to manage a sense of being sufficient by being necessary to other people or by yielding to what other people want from them. So it looks very giving, but they're still trying to earn a sense of sufficiency in the eyes of other people by pleasing the people around them. I see. So it's, again, it's not driven by the idea that uh, I know this person needs this thing from me and therefore I will do it because it's the right thing to do. It's being driven by the desire to have that person feel good about you, not be angry at you, uh, need you. And so those are still about earning selfhood. Okay. So how is this about people pleasing on, on both sides? You, you kind of brought up how that interplays with how we view other people viewing us and wanting to be sufficient in their eyes. Right. So again, it's back to that initial idea of the reflected sense of self, which is if I can please you, I can make you think well of me, maybe I can make myself necessary to your life, then I can feel that I matter, that I have a place, that I'm sufficient but it is a kind of dependent role. I, I need something from you in the name of giving something to you. And so it is about people pleasing, but it's not really about loving others. It's hmm. about make me feel good about me. Now, people pleasers are much easier to hang out with than, um, you know, critical, demanding, superior others. Okay. Yeah. So it's mm -hmm. easy to like people pleasers because they're so busy trying to make you be happy with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we can often, <laughs> and so we can often think, you know, they're the kind people in the world, right? Mm -hmm. But often what people in intimate relationships with people pleasers or in, you know, friendships with people pleasers kind of feel is a sort of obligation, a need 
to manage the self of that person who doesn't manage their own sense of self, who sometimes gives too much, quote unquote, who, um, who yields all the time, who doesn't kind of own their own position or own their own decision. And so it can be confusing often when you're in relationship to a one down person because it can, you can say like they're so nice, they're offering so much. And so why do I feel kind of uncomfortable with them? Or why Mm -hmm. do I feel sometimes even resentful Mm -hmm. um, of them? And so, yeah. Well, I'm sure many couples can relate to this paradigm. Most couples, they have one person who would admit when pressed, I'm actually the one up person and another admit, well, I'm the one down. And we're both um, feeding some weaknesses that we have that have a core um, relation, it seems like. Uh, How do you think those two can relate within a couple? Yeah, well, I think often couples will create, they'll co-construct a dynamic of a superior-inferior relationship, meaning one person occupies the kind of one-up demanding position and the other accommodates the one-down inferior position. And often in couples therapy, I know I used to always go to the one-up person and say, why are you being such a jerk? You know? Yes, that's <laughs> in, our in tendency, clinic, right? To right, want to be clinic, like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and I do it in clinical language, of course. So I <laughs> you can pull it off. I can pull it off. Uh, but I've come to see it as more complex than that, that it mm-hmm. really is a co-construction because, you know, the one-up person in a sense hides their humanness through pressuring others to yield to them, validate them, prop up their life, to prop up their, that they prevail in the marriage, that their desires prevail. But the one down person also uses that dynamic to also hide from their own life, to hide from really being known or defining themselves because they're so busy yielding to the pressuring other. And then they can say, see, I'm the good one. I'm the mm-hmm. good one because I'm doing all these things that, we'll put it in the stereotype for a moment, all the things that he wants. But what they're really doing that they often don't see is I'm hiding or I'm not developing my life um, in my pursuit of validation from this other person. I'm using it to not really take responsibility for who I am. Now, that one-up mm-hmm. person's making it easy. I'm not denying that they don't make it easy they're playing a role that pressures you in that direction but also when the one person goes one down the one down person plays that role it also pressures the one up person into a one up Mm. because if you're not going to define the terms or you're not going to say what you want well then I guess I'll go with what I want Uh (laughs) and so oftentimes people will it's a very typical dynamic it's a very human one it's a way of managing your sense of self in relationship but it's and it's even stable. It's often a stable dynamic, but it's one that keeps immaturity alive in both people. And often both people feel frustrated in, with the other person in that dynamic, even though they don't keep track of how they participate in it. So regardless if this is a couple or a friendship or a brother-sister, parent-child relationship, what are, what are some more of those dangers that you were just getting into of upholding this relationship or holding on to whatever your position is within that relationship? Meaning what's the danger to your own development or your own sense of self? Is that the yes. question? Yeah. So why, why does it matter that they need to work on this and try oh. to see how to, like, how is it affecting their lives in a negative way, the structure? That's a, good, 
Good question, right? So, well, what I would say is that, first of all, when we do these dynamics, what we often don't see is that we're using another person and their position mm. to manage our sense of self. So we're participating in keeping someone's development low in order to justify our low development. When you need someone else to manage your sense of self, mm -hmm. you will dislike that person huh. because you'll feel controlled ultimately by who they are. You know, if hmm. if I I remember a couple coming into my office and they I didn't have a couch wide enough. They there, there was so much contempt between them <laughs> that, that it felt hard to have them both be in the same room. And the reality was, you know, you would say, oh, this couple is so distant. This couple is so, you know, so far apart. In reality, they were so dependent upon one another that no one could make a move without the other one flying off the rails because any statement, remark, or move the other person made would deeply insult the other person's sense of self. That's why they hated each other so much is because they were so dependent on the other person to feel um, sufficient about themselves. And so when we create that or facilitate that dependency, which is easy to do, it prevents us from really loving others and from really having intimacy with others. And maybe uh, just as important, it prevents us from really having peace of mind hmm. because we feel jerked around by the immaturities of the people that we love. So in giving someone the power of validating you, you are in fact, you're in fact ruining your relationship in many ways that are foundational yes. and your sense of self, but you're also building resentment towards that yes, person. That's right. Because someone else's immaturities then control your life. And it's easy for you to see that and want to change them, but not really taking responsibility for your choices and your life and who you're going to be. That's what we often do is we place it at the feet of the other person. Instead of standing up and deciding how we're going to function in our lives, what kind of human being we're going to be, that's the movement of someone who's moving out of the need for, for validation and into deeper self-validation. It's time for our brief mid-episode break. I partner with Monate, which stands for Modern Nature. It's a hair company that uses the best of science and what nature has to offer to create products that lead to dramatically improved hair quality, scalp relief, and needed growth all without the use of harmful toxins you'll find in every other hair product. These products are also for the entire family. You know what a genuine fan I am of Monate, and their best deal of the year is coming up on Black Friday. It's always a surprise what that deal is until the morning of. I have set up a Monate specific account on Instagram at Monica Monate, that's M-O-N-A-T. So check me out there to see more of my own unbiased experience with Monate and set an alarm to check in with me on Black Friday to see what the deal of the year is going to be with them. I can't wait for you to have healthy hair that gets you compliments like I've been getting for the first time in over 10 years. Back to my interview with Jennifer. So for someone who is on either side of these spectrums, what can they do to move beyond this this flawed way of viewing the world and themselves and others 
Well, I would say maybe uh, I would think about it maybe from a couple of lenses. I think that um, while I, you know all that I'm talking about is kind of our native state, it's it's early development. I do think compassion towards self and others is something you develop. It's something you um, foster within yourself. Um, human beings, babies have the capacity to love and hate. Human beings have both. But then the question is, what do you really foster or facilitate in yourself? And having compassion towards the human condition that we all share in, that we as a collective are flawed, we are often needy, and yet that we can care about one another and ourselves within this state is to develop ourselves is to live with greater peace because you can have some forgiveness towards yourself for a flaw. I don't mean indulgence, you know, I don't mean that kind of forgiveness. I mean, you can forgive when you make an error and that real forgiveness of oneself is to say, I see it and I also will do better. It's not the self-hating punitive, I'm such a loser <laughs> kind mm -hmm. of, um, you know, it's like a kind of remorse that pressures you forward to try again, to do better, because you care, because you care about who you are and how you function in the world, and you care about the others and your impact on them. Um, but you're not demanding that you live in a way that's impossible for humans to live within. Mm -hmm. So that the, the essential flawed nature of our state is not denied, but it's also you stay accountable for yourself within it. And so that's, a, that's at the core of compassion. And it's to, it's you can't really love others more than you love yourself or vice versa. You it is a reflection of how you relate to the human condition. You know, I know people that are very very critical of other people, but they also live in a kind of tyranny in their head, and it's it's kind of uh, it's a hard way to live. So I think one piece is developing compassion, having the courage to to care having the courage to tolerate the state that we function within and trying to create goodness in it. I think the second piece, and I think it's quite related, is that peace comes not through perfection, but through integrity. And, um, you know, it's not about getting everything right, but it is about striving to live up to your own values and to develop yourself as a human being. As I talked about in the first podcast and maybe the second one we did, I talked about it too, I think. But this idea of self-development, of developing your gifts, developing your capacities so that you are in a position to affect goodness, to create a better world, to do good things in your relationships, that kind of behavior, that kind of effort and intention does create um, peace of mind. Because you can feel good about who you are, not because you never make mistakes, but because you know there's decency and worthiness in the way you engage in the world. And when you know that in your heart, you can tolerate being knowable because you don't really have anything to hide. Mm. You know? Yeah, say more on that. Yeah, not, not that you can't have bad moments or that at times behave in a way that you're not proud of. But, but that you know, I will deal with those behaviors because I'm not willing to behave in a way that's harmful to me or to others. And so when I confront them, I will face them. 
And it's not a perfectionistic demand. It's not about I refuse to be seen as human. In fact, those that are most able to deal with their flaws are most willing to be seen as human, not in the indulgent, give me a break because I'm so weak and human, so Mm -hmm. I should be able to do what I want. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to have you call me out or see what I'm doing, and I'm willing to move towards it and actually deal with it. That's that's real moral courage, and that's the kind of courage that sets us free. It seems so hard to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. even for people who are living, you know, by all intents and perceptions, a good a good life and trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing. But then when we see that, we have been resisting exposure within mm-hmm. ourselves, within our relationships, and that we've been, you know, acting to uphold whatever uh, structure we've put in place, whether one up or one down, it -hmm. seems a little bit intimidating to know I have a lot of work to do. So where, where can people start in, in creating that development? So when you say I have a lot of work to do, I would say, well, welcome to the human condition (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and nothing's going wrong. And in fact, when we start facing that we have work to do, that's sort of the beginning of, of of a sort of movement away from the need for validation from others because it's an acknowledgement at least in the form of I want to do better not in oh my gosh I've been exposed in the form of I want to do better it's an acknowledgement that I want to live up to my own values uh, better than what I've been doing and what many of us will do is because um, that is in some respects a more autonomous position. I'm going to live better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to tolerate being more exposed, allowing my spouse or my child or my friend to see aspects of me that I'm not proud of. And I'm going to deal with those things that that, how to say it, it's it's more autonomous and it takes courage. And oftentimes we resist that position yeah. Because it's uncomfortable for us at mm. first. And so sometimes we'll take refuge in, well, you have flaws too, mm. so don't <laughs> expect much from me. So we'll do like a one-up thing. <laughs> or we'll go into more of a throw up our hands, I can't do anything, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so flawed, I don't even know where to start. We kind of use this idea that because you can't do everything, you therefore are so, somewhat justified in feeling bad and doing nothing. And I would say, you know, it's it's the more truthful engagement around that is to say, I can't do everything, but what do I think is the most important thing for me to focus on in my marriage or in my relationship with my child or in how I'm functioning in the world? Where's the one place I know I would really benefit from pushing myself, even though it terrifies me? Mm-hmm. What's on the other side then? Because I relate to these people who are so terrified of exposing their humanness to the people who are most important in their lives and that moral courage I I see the need for it um but I I want to know what am I working towards what's the what's the end of this or at least yeah a part of the journey well what I would say is on the other side is you expand the world that you live in you get freer you feel less dependent on other people you feel more peace of mind. You're more at peace with yourself. You're at home in your own skin because you know that you're 
living a life that's decent, that isn't full of self-deception. And you feel also worthy of the desire or the love that comes your direction. You know that you're not getting it because you deceive them into it. You know that, that it, it's, it has a place to land inside of you because you feel that you're living your life in a way that is respect worthy, even though not perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect is just like off the table. It's not even in the human paradigm. And so, but it's respect worthy. And I would say, you know, a lot of, you know, I still obviously have lots of places to push myself. I, I always do. And I find myself shrinking back at times like, oh, do I really have to do that hard thing? I don't mm-hmm. want to do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and the, one of the ways that I push myself is to say, you know, Jennifer, every time you have pushed yourself up against doing what you know is right and courageous, even though it terrifies you. Your life has gotten better. You know, that your life has, you have more comfort with yourself, more peace of mind, more freedom in the world. You know, the scripture, the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. That is, if you align yourself with what is true and you do morally courageous things, you are freed up internally. You become less dependent upon people and less resentful towards them. And, you know, I had a, have a client who, got married and wanted the safe position of being loved by her husband and desired by her husband, but not loving him and desiring him back. Hmm. And so she was taking a position of control in the marriage by not really giving him the validation he wanted. And then he would try to get it. And the more he was trying to get it, the more she would get kind of reassurance, but also get more control in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And she felt terrible about herself. She had physical problems. She mm-hmm. had very low self-esteem. And then the more she felt bad about herself, the more she wanted to keep this charade going because she felt so unworthy of the validation he was supposedly offering her and untrusting of it, actually. Mm-hmm. And so as she started to really confront who she had been and how much she didn't want to look at it because she already felt bad about herself. But she started to really honestly face, I have been doing this to this man. I have hijacked his life. And I can't do this anymore. And she came Mm -hmm. to a plate where she recognized for herself she could not do it anymore. And it terrified her to really step into the marriage, to own her flaws openly in her relationship with him, in her family where there was a lot of perfectionistic pressure to honestly acknowledge where she was, where they were as a couple. And as she did that, what happened is you, I could see her visibly in the sessions coming in calmer, more at peace, mm-hmm. more comfortable, feeling more um, that her husband's desire was more legitimate. She could acknowledge that his desire for her that had actually gone up mm-hmm. and was deeper because he watched what she was willing to do that she recognized it as legitimate. It, she could receive it. Huh. That's interesting. And you see, you know, as a therapist, as a third party, you see people get more peaceful, hmm. more they're, they're really living in a relationship of loving and being loved. And, and it's, you know, I think that that sort of facing our humanity is a small price to pay 
I mean, it doesn't feel like it when you're on that side of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're That's on the great. other side, you're like, oh, what's the big deal? Why did I resist <laughs> so much? You know, yeah. why did I resist so much when it's so much easier to live on this side of it? And that's often how growth is. As we resist it, we push against it. The brain even pushes us against it mm. uh, because the brain wants equilibrium. I see. Oh, okay. It wants what it, what it knows already. Yes, exactly. And so I follow the work of David Schnarch closely, and he does a lot of work on um, the brain most recently and self-development. But yes, the brain is looking for equilibrium. It wants to create equilibrium, and it pressures us against our own development, that tendency within us. But, uh, you know, the more you push yourself towards what you don't know, and that's, that's the meaningful definition of faith in my mind, is that you feel something's right, but it terrifies you, and you move towards it anyway. Hmm. Faith is in behavior. The brain changes in response to behavior, not not just good thoughts. So they can start walking the walk before their mind yes. is believing it and they that personal side of it. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to to ask you about was part of your quote when you you know you say get over yourself we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that come into play here as someone is trying to get over themselves how they can how can they see that we are in fact all in this together and that will in turn empower them to get over themselves yeah so i mean i think that you know one of the things that often pressures this sort of scrambling to get on top you know or to feel superior or whatever is the fantasy that everybody else is feeling good about themselves and has a handle on life and rather than look we're all insecure i mean we're all uncertain we're all living in a very uncertain world Mm -hmm. and managing the anxiety of that reality and you know the only real antidote is compassion and you know i was working with another client who was talking about every time he goes to church that he would really facilitate this view in other people's minds that he had his life all together when he was saying if people really knew how much it wasn't together, how much my marriage doesn't feel together, how, you know, if people saw my own personal behavior, they would be surprised. And yet I really get involved in facilitating this view in people's minds to feel good about himself. Right. Yeah. And the thing that I said to him was, do you recognize when you do that, you're actually doing something to other people you're creating in them a sense of anxiety and insufficiency relative to that false picture of you. Mm-hmm. And it really made him like, Ugh, you know, like yeah. that. It's one thing to just be, you know, hey, I want to feel good. It's another thing to recognize the impact you have on others when you do that, mm-hmm. when you use them in a sense to prop yourself up. And that that basic compassion, like not only is it unnecessary to do this to me, to, to, to be scrambling to feel superior, it's also really indecent to do it to the people around me. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can just acknowledge that we're striving together, that I want to do well and do, and do decently in the world. And I'm not going to use you to prop myself up. And I'm going to acknowledge that I'm more like you and vice versa than we are different on this front. And I think it just helps. I think it it pressures a kind of compassion and decency in ourselves towards others as well as ourselves. Hmm. Well, that sounds a lot happier of a way of living than 
than the reverse. And I do like that you pointed out, though, that we all are insecure. So even though you feel free on the other side of this or as you're working towards, you know, acknowledging your humanness and developing that compassion for yourself and others, it doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to have the confidence of a superhero. You know, that's yeah. part of the human condition is, is feeling that's that right. insecurity. So how does that right. still come in, into play with still being in a better place? But that doesn't mean you have it all together. That's not the end. Yeah. Product. Well, I would say, you know, the, the upside is feeling a sense of, of, of development is a deeper sense of efficacy and self-acceptance and peace with who you are, mm-hmm. which is different than saying that you feel complete control in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no that will never feel, happen, right? That will never happen. I mean, the world is uncertain. There are many things you cannot control. You can control yourself with impeccable integrity, but still not control other variables around things that matter deeply to you. Mm-hmm. And that is to say, also, you've never mastered everything, that you confront a new challenge with a child, a new challenge in your relationship, uh, a, a space in your own development where you recognize you have been blind to some aspect of yourself and you need to bring more courage to that reality, that that the development is real and has real consequences, but you're still a human being in an imperfect, unpredictable world mm-hmm. that you're trying to uh, navigate. And so that creates uncertainty and insecurity inherently. Hmm. I think I know my, our next topic then is <laughs> how to ride that tide, right? Of life and mm-hmm. still be strong. Jennifer, this, this entire interview has again been one of those life changing ones. I know people listen to your interviews over and over and over again, and I know this will be no different. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. You're welcome, Monica. Thanks for having me. Jennifer never disappoints. I am seriously humbled that she'd agreed to be on the show again. And I know that you have learned so much from her as I have. I can't recommend those workshops and the online classes that she offers enough. Be sure to check out in the show notes at aboutprogress.com to get the link for Jennifer's special deals going on right now. They'd make a great gift for your spouse, a family member, a friend who you know needs it, or even yourself. I personally think I'm going to get the class on teaching kids about sex as that's the last one on my list that I haven't already taken from her. So definitely check her out there. Thank you again, Jennifer, for your incredible wisdom on such weighty topics. And thank you for sticking with me. It's officially been a year since this podcast started. And what a year it has been. My life has been completely changed for the better in doing this podcast. I hope you know that. I hope you can feel my love for what I am doing and and that you can see that I believe in it and I believe in you. I love this community we have created here together. So please keep coming back and please keep sharing it to people who you know would appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And until next Wednesday, take care of yourself.